Hey there, Internet. I can't know for sure, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that you woke up this morning thinking, hey, if only there was a place I could hear a bunch of cool people talk about video games. Well, we've got a show for you. From developer interviews to casual conversation, from exciting indie titles to fresh takes on your favorite games, this is the Gamers with Glasses podcast. folks this is the gamers with glasses show and i'm christian haynes one of the editors of the website gamerswithglasses.com gamers with glasses is a gathering place for fans scholars artists and developers who like to play and think about games this evening i'm joined by roger whitson hello nate schmidt hi there and ed chang hello thanks for being on and so tonight we've got a lot of great stuff going on. We're going to do our <laughs> usual talking about the games we're playing, uh, but we're also going to have our special topic. And this week it's games we've abandoned or fallen off of. Uh, I'm also happy to announce some upcoming uh, special episodes of our podcast, including a Miles Morales spoiler cast with Trey Andrea Russworm, uh, Julian Chambliss, and Roger and myself. Uh, we've also got interviews coming up, including one that actually is already released with Patrick Jagoda, another coming up with Brendan Keogh, and then finally, uh, one last one with Alinda uh, Chang. Uh, but why don't we transition over to the games we're playing? And why don't we start this week with Nate? Nate, what's on your deck? All right. So um, this week, the studio Might and Delight out of Stockholm released their sort of first 30 minute gameplay video um, of the upcoming online RPG Book of Travels, uh, which they're describing as instead of an MMORPG, it's a TMORPG for tiny multiplayer online role-playing game. Um, and the idea is that you sort of, um, you, you wander this world and kind of experience your relationship to this space in ways that are not necessarily always combat-based. Uh, there's a lot of um, more kind of help people uh, take care of day-to-day -day kind of tasks kind of things, which I guess if I describe it that way sounds kind of boring. <laughs> but but, but it's, it's the kind of thing that I really... Uh, I'm really kind of into because I like this idea of playing an RPG peacefully um, on purpose because there are so many RPGs out there where, you know, you could like my, my home game, like, right. I, like I play Skyrim for at least an hour every day, basically just to sort of unwind and, and get ready for bed. And, and I like the idea of, having this other place where you're sort of just quietly, you know, helping people build a tree house or, or finish, um, finish uh, uh, some, some 
academic project they were working on or something. Anyway, they posted the, the gameplay video of it this week and it looked really, really cool. The art was really beautiful. Um, and I'm curious to see sort of how it will work and what kind of uh, online community it'll draw, you know, um, and, and how that would compare to some of the communities and other RPGs. So anyway, um, to coincide with that, because that game's not coming out for a little while yet, they have a little bundle for sale on Steam that can will kind of introduce you to the rest of their catalog. And I picked that up and that's what I've been doing. Um, so their best known game is probably, uh, it's called Shelter, um, where you're an uh, animal. And I think the first one, eh, maybe you're a badger, the first one. I don't know, because because it was the most popular one, I didn't play it. Um, I, <laughs> so I skipped, I skipped right to, uh, to Tiny Echo, um, which is this really neat little point and click game, kind of the art style has some similarities to, to Samorost, which we talked about last week a little bit. Um, but you're a little cyclopean letter carrier who, who, and you sort of have to go around and figure out these various puzzles so that you can get to the, to the creatures who, who have mail, um, but then you can also, uh, to get them to accept the mail, sometimes you have to do different things because the letters will have different content in them, but they may not want uh it's really fun as as, as as little point and clicks go it was just hard enough to kind of keep my attention um and the art was really beautiful um and then they had another actually in, in an online rpg called meadow where you're just an animal and I, I was a badger when I was first introduced into the game. And, and you play on servers with others, but you can't communicate with each other in any way other than the way that animals would communicate with each other. So you can sort of, you have these series of commands you can do that will make your character kind of show different reactions or do different things, but there's no way to sort of you know, do the human thing where we yell at each other and, 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 are, and are ugly to each other online. You know, <laughs> like there wasn't an opportunity to do that because you're just a badger and you don't know how to be mean in badger. At least I don't, like, I don't know how to be mean as a, as a badger. Um, and so I was really, I was, I was nervous. I was nervous to play this game because I'm, I'm so afraid of the internet and the internet is so <laughs> toxic and nasty, right? Like so much of the time I was like, who is gonna be out there? And they're like, there are goals. Like you're, you're, you're wandering and looking for things that allow you to sort of um, access to a broader range of expression and wider customization for your little avatar and stuff. Um, but uh, overall, I was just, I was really impressed by the experience of sort of walking around and, and just, having this group of, of beings that I know have, have people behind them and we all have to like learn a new language, like a new way of communicating with each other. It was really cool. Um, so yeah, I'd say in general, the, the games of theirs that I played, um, I played a, a platformer called PID as well, but I won't get into that right now. We can save that for another, another one so other folks have a chance to talk. But um, from the games that I played, the art is really, is really stunning. Uh, it would be a, a misapplication of the technical definition of the word isometric to say that the art is isometric, but it has this nice sort of um, pastel 3D feel to it, almost a little bit like a blockier Wind Waker 
um, uh, uh, in a lot of the kinds of things that they that they've made, and it, it made me even more excited for Book of Travels. So, um, if you want to play some games that just have some neat uh, ways of of making you engage with with gameplay that are more directed towards tranquility and contemplation, um, in in some treating some familiar genres in unfamiliar ways, uh, Might and Delight makes some really cool stuff. It also looks like they're really into letting you play as non-human characters just in a lot of their games, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. And 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 making you inhabit that character as as that character's way of being in the world and mm. not like anthropomorphizing it so that it's like, you know, Animal Crossing or whatever. Yeah, I just threw it in my Steam cart, that uh, bundle you were talking about, which so it's sitting like right below a game called Ultra Kill, <laughs> which is a first person shooter that I'm also excited about. So I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump between the pastel colors of uh, Might and Delight and the uh, mechanics of Ultra Kill, which I believe revolve around soaking in blood to replenish your health. Um, so, you know, it, it'll be a nice back and forth. Well, and I'm excited to run into you. So when you see a brown badger sort of wandering around the Eastern USA server, then you'll know I could I could say <laughs> hi, but not anything else because <laughs> it's just badger voice. Nice, <laughs> nice. I'll be a raccoon or something. <laughs> Mischievous Good. creature of the night. Yes. Um, that's awesome. Uh, very cool. Glad you're always taking us off the beaten road, Nate. That's that's the job because I can't afford triple A games or consoles, but I still have to come up with something to say for the podcast. Well, the Badger <laughs> trails are always more interesting anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, Ed, why don't you get us into what you're playing? I think sure. that's a great Mine game. is not so much exciting. Though that game reminds, I don't know if you all, I've seen there's a game, I don't know if it still exists. Uh, it's called The Endless Forest. Um, which is an MMO, and you play deer with people faces. It's very strange and surreal. Oh. Um, is it anything like, um, oh, what's that uh, Studio Ghibli movie? Um, yeah, kind of like that. Is yeah, it Princess, Princess Mononoke okay. yeah. has that has that spirit. With, right, that's the deer. With it's the a, it's, I just looked it up. It's like a it's a Belgian game, anyway. But you cool. and there's no talking. There's no. There's no chat, I think. All you can do is emote as your deer. And it sort of sounds like that where you just sort of have to kind of like try to communicate with prancing or jumping or, you know, that sort of thing, which I yeah. think is really fascinating. Anyway, That's um, awesome. my games are primarily informed by uh, the pandemic and by busy schedule and by who else I can like play with. And so... Uh, for the most part, this is oriented around um, my family, my sister, and I have a and I have a nephew, and so we're playing Animal Crossing, um, and play. I play with my nephew who's seven. Uh, I play Minecraft with him, probably about once or twice a week, um, and just sort of run around and half build things and half blow things up, or <laughs> I watch him blow things up and then I sort of go along i'm one of those weird people where it's like if you blow up like the ground or things like that i go in and i fix it and things like that so um, <laughs> it's very strange and ocd of me um uh but i think the in most interesting stuff that i played recently so uh as a game academic i find that i don't have any time to actually play games um 
or I don't make enough time to play games and that's maybe something I should fix uh, in the future, maybe after I get tenure, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but so the way I get to play games is I make classes that where I assign games that I haven't played before and therefore I actually get to play them. And so I just did a honors tutorial on, uh, I have a student in media arts who wanted to do a game a class on independent games. And so um, I collected a bunch of sort of like big name independent games, but then also was like, let's also foreground like independent games by, by creators of color um, or, or, or queer creators and things like that. So I've gotten to play a lot of stuff that I never would have touched. Um, mm. And a lot of them uh, appear on Steam. So titles that I sort of, I'm just going to pull from my syllabi. Um, the ones I remember recently, like a, there's a 2020 game called Before I Forget, which is Threefold Studio. And it's a sort of like walking simulator. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all, um, where it's sort of a, a day in the life-ish kind of game of a person who has dementia. And so mm. it's a sort of interesting kind of meditation on time and space and, and mm. not, you know, moving around an apartment and trying to figure, it's sort of like a mystery, um, but, oh my gosh, sorry. Um, it's a mystery. And so that was really lovely. Um, and then I've been really interested in like the work of like Elizabeth Lebanze or um, Maze Longboat who are indigenous game makers. And so When Rivers Were Trails is a great game. Terra Nova is a great game. So those are things that I've been sort of like tinkering around with and playing. When we get to the next section, I can talk about the fact that I played like Elder Scrolls Online for a really long time and then it just sort of fell off. So I'll wait for that, but that's what I'm playing right now, mostly. Ed, can I ask you a question? I've always wanted to ask somebody who who like has a relationship to Minecraft. Sure. So what is your take, <laughs> however you, you, you want it to be, on these sort of gigantic, projects that people take on where it's like when I, when I've seen a lot because the algorithm is starting to sort of figure me out um, is uh, is, is this middle earth one. Mm. That's just like in Minecraft, you can walk block by block from the Shire to Mordor and everything in between. What do you, what do you think about these, these massive projects that, that people are, are almost professional Minecraft builders, you know, in in some cases, not even necessarily negative or positive. I'm just curious what, what your take is. Like, is that attractive or interesting to you? Or, 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 or how does that compare to the way you play the game? It's not something that I, I mean, I, so the glib answer is people have way too much time on their hands and I wonder <laughs> where that comes from. Um, and uh, the other thing, you know, it always reminds me, I can't remember now the name of the story, Borges' story about the map of mm. the world. Um, oh yeah that's the size of the world yeah and so this idea of like trying to like recreate the world in a digital space but on a one like one-to-one scale even is like insanity to me which I think is sort of really fascinating but um, I think it's cool it's cool Uh, someone in uh, right as the pandemic hit released a bunch of stuff because I'm in Seattle right now and the University of Washington is where I did my PhD uh, released, um, they've been building the university district, which is where the school is in the in Seattle, like again, one-to-one. And so you can kind of like wander around campus mm. without mm. going outside. And it was very surreal because you're like, I know this is Minecraft and this is all blocks, but it it is the campus in this sort of spooky, spooky way. But I mean, I cool. think it seems like 
you know, just to hear you talk about it, Ed, it seems a lot like, you know, any kind of creative endeavor where you're just, you get lost in like the, the, the sort of minutia of creating this thing that, you know, maybe you love, or maybe you're, you know, maybe it's a sense of place, like this, you know, becoming really connected to a certain space, whether that's real or not. Um, and wanting to, you know, kind of create something of it. Um, right. What yeah. I love is that I think one of the things that I would talk about if I were, you know, I, oh, I'm going to talk about it now is that I like it when you have a very specific, narrow set of, of tools, palettes, objects, whatever, and you're trying to create a kind of fidelity of the real world. And so mm. I find that created creativity very fascinating so one of the projects that my nephew and I just completed he wanted to create a carnival and so he ran around and made stuff and then I was making stuff and we made roller coasters and you know things like that but I was like I'm gonna make a ferris wheel and I was like well there's nothing in Minecraft that is round make allows you to make things that are round so you kind of have to just sort of like gesture at it and you know all this sort of stuff so it ended up pretty pretty cool it doesn't move but you know (laughs) it is uh it is from afar you're like oh that looks like a ferris wheel so yeah very cool though because it you know it seems to channel a lot of the same energies as like the mod scene did Mm -hmm. back in like i mean still today but especially back in the days of like people hacking the source engine or the early version of the unreal engine you know before they really started licensing it widely and doing level design and things like that you do hear these stories of these like kids that are getting hired you know, I say kids, but like 18, 19, 20 <laughs> year olds <laughs> who are getting hired as level design uh, professionals in part with things like Minecraft in right. their portfolios, you know, right. and, and maybe they start with Minecraft and they do some scripting and Unreal or something. And, and it's really cool to see like a platform that's a really nice intermediary between maybe mm-hmm. the more programming oriented platforms that, you know, a lot of game productions done in. Right. Good. Proof concept. Lots of prototyping, you know, like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Very cool. So I guess I'm next. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm playing a few games. I'm playing a, too many games, I'll just be honest. Uh, I'm not even going to admit all the games that I'm playing because it's friggin' embarrassing and I'm just not <laughs> sleeping. Uh, but instead, I want to talk about uh, a couple of games I've really only dipped my toes into. Uh, so the first is a game called Iris in the Giant, which as far as I know is actually designed by a single person, uh, Louis Rejo, uh, so a French developer, uh, and it's published by Goblin Studio. And it's a collectible card game, single player, uh, roguelike, uh, but it feels to me like it really belongs to these games that have been coming out, like Celeste, uh, that are trying to produce a kind of like emotional palette uh, with their gameplay mechanics and with their visual design. So it's very sort of watercolory in tone, in design, in the use of line work for the art. It really does look kind of like a French comic book or BD, bande dessinée. Uh, and it's kind of got this beautiful minimalistic art. And 
it is a card game. You're collecting cards and you're doing a run like in a roguelike and you, you know, you die, you have to start over, but it's a roguelike. So you get sort of perks when you die based on things. But as you're doing it, you're playing this young girl who seems to have moved to a new city and you're getting these memories that are very often like moments of, you know, intense anxiety or public shame or humiliation and nothing awful, but the kinds of things I think a lot of children suffer when they're in, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere around there is where I'd place it. Uh, and you see just off kilter interactions with her parents uh, and you collect these memories as you go sort of between these levels. But the gameplay mechanics are that beautiful blend that I love of like simple and complex where the complexity is really just emergent, right? Like the cards are all pretty simple, simple attacks and blocks um, with different cards doing different things to different enemies, uh, but nothing overly complex but when you add it all up it produces complexity and each run you get a little bit more added to your deck and so right now my big pursuit is if i do a certain if i get to a certain amount of through a certain amount of levels without using any perks i will get an imaginary friend I do not know what this imaginary friend does. I'm really hoping it's like an NPC that also plays its own cards, but I honestly don't know yet. Uh, but the game is actually like strikingly moving and that's and it produces that question that I had like playing with Celeste is like, how is a platformer making me feel things? Mm. And I'm sort of having that same moment of like, how is a card game making me feel things? Because I love a lot of card games, right? Like I love Slay the Spire. I love uh, Monster Train is one of my favorite games that's come out this year, but I don't get emotionally sort of compelled by them. The compulsion is a little bit different. It's more intellectual. It's more that just one more turn. It's the same thing I feel like when I'm playing like a 4X game or a strategy game, but this is, I want to see what's going on with this girl. I want to know what the source of this anxiety, this, what seems to me likely some kind of depression that she's dealing with. Mm. And mm. just as somebody too, who's dealt with depression and who deals with depression in my own life like for me there's like an attachment to seeing this girl's journey through um mm. and seeing where iris comes from and i'll also say i think it's it's probably just a coincidence but i'm really marked about by the similarities between this game iris and the giant and the graphic novel i killed giants mm. um mm. Cool. So without giving too much away, that graphic novel deals with some things that I don't think this deals with, but there's an artistic similarity and an obvious title similarity. So that's that's the thing I'm probably most excited about playing, um, especially of the indie games I'm playing. And again, it's pretty stuck with just one person. And you can see there's just a lot of passion that's gone into it. Uh, the other thing I'm playing... Uh, is a game called Haven. And it's by the studio, uh, the Game Bakers, who are probably best known for their game uh, Fury, spelled F-U-R-I, which is a kind of like a boss rush game, but with a very nice kind of minimalistic uh, art style reminiscent of a Norse saga in some way. But they've talked about the fact that they never want to make the same game twice in interviews. And 
you can tell because this is not a boss battle rush or anything. There's some combat, the combat in this turn base, but basically what happens is you've crash landed on a planet uh, in a galaxy somewhere. From what I can tell without giving too much away, and I've only played one play session of this for a couple hours. Uh, from what I can tell, you're escaping from a society in which matchmakers, like social matchmakers, decide who's going to couple up. Mm. And you and this person have escaped from the society and you're not the people that you were assigned to one another, you know? And, and so you're sort of on the run, you've crash landed with your spaceship and you're trying to repair your spaceship. Uh, and you, there's, I mean, the things that really make this game are one, it has a really cool movement dynamic where you're basically just kind of not quite hovering, but more like skimming the surface, like one constant dash and you're dashing, you know, is contingent upon you, like collecting this energy source, which are lines that you can follow. So you're sort of following from one line to the next in this nice flow. And this is kind of like nice, even flow oh. across these beautiful, colorful floating islands on this planet. Uh, the other thing about this game that I think I'm going to have a hard time des describing, but it's, it's a romance game in a lot of ways, but it's not a dating sim. It's a romance game where you know that this is your partner. You're going to fight. You're going to make up. Seems like there is going to be erotic moments. Uh, there's definitely been some kissing and like going to bed with one another and making out in ways that I'm not used to, to be honest, in a lot of the games <laughs> that I play. Uh, but that's handled so far, at least really well. Uh, and then you get into fights and there's all these dialogue choices of, you know, where you can sort of press somebody on something. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, are you going to clean up this room uh, before we go to bed? Sometimes it's like, you probably need to take a shower. Like, we've been working on the ship all day. Uh, sometimes it's like, are we going to fix this thing or this thing? And you can switch mm. between the characters uh, who seem to be like a cisgendered guy and a cisgendered woman. Um, and you can sort of inhabit the tension from both sides. And this is a game that's, I think, so far at least, doing a really great job of showing you what it's like to be in an intimate space with somebody where you're going to have a long amount of time with them. We're all sort of, you know, dealing with COVID and dealing with various kinds of isolation. And so I think there's also something that's like, I've got a sort of resonance there. Uh, and just kind of the like nitty gritty of being in a relationship with somebody that I find impressive that they've managed to capture in a game. I do worry that a lot of the games can revolve around resource collecting to fix your ship and cook things. And that's not exactly my jam. So I don't know if I'll complete this game, but even if I don't, I'll be really happy that I tried it because it's a game that's really trying to do something that I don't see a lot of games doing, frankly. Interesting. And it's beautiful, by the way. Cool. It's like watercolor palette, sort of minimalist, uh, 3D, but not too minimalist. Yeah. It, it is really interesting that I think we don't get that type of story of like, not the beginnings of a relationship. We get that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But um, sort of this, you know, what, is it, what is it like to have to live with somebody? Like, what is, 
to have to lose it. you know like somebody <laughs> that way but i mean to live with somebody and like the good and bad parts and like how do we how do you navigate that and i just find it interesting that our culture doesn't really depict that in any medium very well because well, it's, it's yeah. the not interesting part, right? It's like the like, you know, yeah. the breakups and the start of the relationship are supposed to be the interesting parts. Maybe, yeah. I just think there's a lot of nuance about the human condition that you lose in that, you know. Absolutely. Um, cool. Yeah. I love it when games only give you dialogue options that you don't want to say. That's one of my favorite <laughs> things. It doesn't happen often enough either. Like. It, there's so because so many games have the obvious like this is the thing you should say if you want to avoid combat and this is the thing you should say if you want to get into it and 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 i love it when you have one of those character driven games where you just have no choice but to say no matter what you say it's going to be bad like no matter what you say this is going to go badly because that happens i mean i don't know maybe you maybe you three have 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 everything figured out but that happens to me all the time <laughs> like, <laughs> where where uh, like you just you run into these situations where there is no perfect thing like there is no perfect way that you're gonna say exactly what everybody present needed to hear you know at that moment and i think that's one of the most absurd sort of departures from reality that you see in a lot of a lot of games is that there's always a right thing to say you know mm -hmm. and i love the idea that sometimes maybe there there isn't and there wouldn't be there's also just something brave about a studio, especially an indie studio, saying, you know what, we know that the thing that people love to do in terms of romance and games are like flirt with the options, right? Like if everybody's seen like the discourse around Baldur's Gate 3, it seems to essentially revolve around who you can sleep with and who you can't and asking <laughs> the developers to patch in being able to sleep with other characters. Uh, <laughs> and this is a studio that said, you know what? No options. You're stuck with this person. And you can mess this relationship up if you want, but that's what you've got. You're stranded on the proverbial desert island. That's great. That's great. Uh, Roger, what have you got? I know you've got some stuff, and I want to talk with you about Spider-Man, although we're going to be oh, doing, yeah. uh, we're going to be doing a special podcast. I, yeah, we're going to talk about that in more detail. I just finished uh, Miles Morales, um, which I... I have to say, overall, I really enjoyed um, in a lot of ways. Uh, I was, you know, I'm a longtime Spider-Man gamer. Like I, one of the, one of my early uh, memories is really wanting to get a Sega Genesis so I could play Spider-Man versus the Kingpin. And a lot of people critique that game, but I still think it's, it's one of the, it's, it's such a fun game. It's really cool. Maybe that's my nostalgia working on, on me, um, but I still enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, when the Insomniac game came out, you know, this, uh, a couple of years ago, I enjoyed that game. I think, um, I was at the moment, uh, kind of coming up against, uh, and this has been a theme of the last couple of years for me, kind of the limits of the open world game, uh, as it's often presented by games like Assassin's Creed, like Spider-Man, like, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, like you saw where there's a central storyline, which is compelling. And then you have what are basically all of these side games that you do, right? Where, um, you know, in Spider-Man, um, in Miles Morales, they have a kind of mini game. It's actually really interesting, but um, where you have to go and like sample different sounds 
in different parts of New York City. Um, and it's interesting for me, but like, I am so, I am really into story. And so like, I, and I don't like to feel like I'm running errands. Like, and sometimes mm -hmm. I, in those yeah. kinds of games, I definitely feel like I'm running errands. Um, I will say that like, you know, there's so many things that Miles Morales gets right. I like Miles better than Peter as a character. I think he has a much more compelling backstory. I think as a hero navigating and as a teenager, he gets he he gets back to the core of what made Spider-Man an interesting character for me in the first place. And so I can't imagine, you know, it's really interesting at the end of the game. Um, there's full on the, spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not, I mean, it's not a story or anything like that. It's like they're just like you know that the next game is going to be a Peter game. That's all mm -hmm. I'm saying. And it's just kind of like, do I want to go back to Peter? Like, <laughs> no, I like Miles. I want another Miles game. And so um, it'll just be interesting to see what Insomniac does with that. Um, so what was your experience, Christian? I mean, almost the same, Roger. Uh, although I'll just add to your, like, what's Insomniac going to do? I will be entirely surprised if they do not make Miles playable in some fashion and Mm -hmm. the next game um both because of his popularity and because it would be such a waste of assets mm -hmm. not like just work with that i mean i don't know it'd be like leaving money on the table or something uh maybe not yeah. maybe they just spin it off and do more dlc which well, would be surprising one of the weird i think uh and I, this just goes back to the comics i think one of the weird problems that marvel has is that um you know Miles is always going to be a secondary character. This is the problem. Like he is yeah. always going to be a secondary character. As long as Peter's around and Peter's basically solidified by capitalism to be immortal, right? <laughs> like um, Miles is always going to be a sidekick. And um, yeah. the, you know, and so, yeah, like we'll see more of Miles, but it'll be interesting to see what the fans do with that. I don't know. No, I agree. I mean, and even in this game, like they, the way that they give him autonomy is by sending Peter off to Europe, which I don't think mm -hmm. is much of a spoiler, and really focusing on Harlem, which I think is one of the books or one of the game's strengths. And, you know, I agree with you. He's a more interesting character. And actually part of the reason he's more interesting is because of his family. Yep. Right? Like, I don't think I've seen many better representations of a mother in a game mm -hmm. and of an interesting like mother-son relationship in a game uh that compares to this um or his yeah. relationship with genki uh i think his relationship with his uncle is fascinating oh yeah and like in the in all three like in the comics in he's in into the spider verse as well and in this one it's a very complicated yeah very fascinating relationship that they develop and in my you know, what's interesting is like, I don't know, do we get spoilers for the original Spider-Man or people? I think we, I think we're safe on that. Okay. I think we're so, safe. so Miles's father dies in this, in, in the first, in the Insomniac for Spider-Man uh, story. It's not something that happens in the comics. In the comics, they do this weird thing. I think, I think originally in, when uh, Miles was in Ultimate Spider-Man, they tried to kill they tried to kill his mother and then they retconned it. I remember that because it was a, it was a stupid decision. Um, right. And the thing that like, I think always made miles uniquely interesting was his, was his relationship with his uncle because it gave him a very different, but 
very compelling reason to be a hero, right? It gave him this interesting kind of foil to kind of bounce off of. Um, and so I really see that in this story too. Um, and so I hope they keep that character around. And minor contextual spoiler folks. So give yourself three seconds to mute if you don't want to hear this. His uncle is the prowler. And so therefore sort of like low level super villain, uh, more like a super mischief guy uh, than a super villain sometimes. Um, and that plays into Miles Morales, so spoiler yeah. over. Yeah. Um, which you all know anyways from Into the Spider-Verse. Come it's in on. that, it's in everything. It's in everything. <laughs> if you haven't watched Into the Spider-Verse, you should really turn this podcast off and go do yourself a favor. Yeah, yeah can I ask the neophyte question, which would be, is the game like the movie? in any way like that's what i've been wondering about the whole time is is the yeah. what, what in what ways does the miles morales game have a relationship to into the spider-verse that's kind of the only thing i i want to know i think just on the very basic story beats of miles's origin uh it's similar but on the mean, soundtrack are, yeah oh, the soundtrack's cool. really cool and you can that's wear cool. the you can wear the the costume they have the costume um, which <laughs> the i think one he I, gets from the from the halloween store no, no, the no. They have like Miles's Into the Spider-Verse costume. Oh, oh, I awesome. think it's really oh, I think it's better than his regular costume. I really like it because yeah. it because it sort of highlights his interest in um in graffiti art and um all of that. So like I just love how they integrated that in the film. Um but like yeah, like they very much and I read an interview about this, them talking about it, they very much tried to make it its own story. They wanted it to sort of stand on its own which I appreciated um, because, you know, like um, basically when they created Into the Spider-Verse, they kind of fused Miles' story with this larger multi-dimensional story, which is, um, which is cool. It worked out really well, I think. Um, but, you know, uh, that's not really what's going on in this story. And so um, I thought it was really cool that they sort of created their own story. However, I do not agree with the killing of his father. Like, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think it creates an absence that's pretty keenly felt, in, at least when I played it throughout the whole story. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, it's not something that actually happened in, into the Spider-Verse. So it's, so it's interesting that they would make that choice. So. So what else have you been playing, Roger? Anything else? <laughs> yeah. Well, the other one, the other game I have playing is just kind of, I just downloaded it today um, called Morbid the Seven Acolytes. And it's just, um, you know, Morbid the newest. Morbid the Seven Acolytes. Yeah. It's the new one in the, one of the newest Souls-like Lovecraftian games. So like there's not, it's not the most, uh, 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 original game, I would say, that I've played recently. I do enjoy the mechanics. Uh, it has a really good sort of system um, in which you are uh, fighting all of these Lovecraftian monsters on a on a on an island somewhere. Um, there's uh, sort of a mysterious storyline. I mean, it's it's everything any kind of Souls player would want. You know, it's and it, to the point where it's almost cliched. Like there are parts of the story basically that I think because because both Bloodborne and uh, Morbid take from Lovecraft, you know, uh, story beats, uh, there are literally, you know, parts if you if you played Bloodborne that will remind you of later game 
uh, moments in Bloodborne. Um, but it's 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 you're not blood you're not the Bloodborne guy. And you're um, the hunter. In other words, you're you're uh, just a sort of fighter with a with a sword. And so it's interesting. It's 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 uh, not the most original game, but I was I was looking for that type of that type of game to. To, to play right now so you had that i got itch. what i wanted you know <laughs> pretty much yeah Excellent. and then the last thing i i wanted to mention really quickly is i'm kind of trying and i think jason michael is going to write about this on uh on the site but um i we're we're kind of playing multiplayer no man's sky um yeah. which is pretty fun it's been kind of fun we just started today so i haven't done a lot of it um but uh, you know, No Man's Sky, I'll get into this a little more on the next special topic. I get a little lost by, with games that are huge like that, you know? And so it's good to have someone who is really passionate about the game kind of show me around a little bit because um, I tried it a little bit a couple of months ago and I played around a little bit and then I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that's good. I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> just kind of quit. So it's kind of it's kind of nice to go back to it. Well, why don't why don't you bring us into our next topic sure. and our special topic, Roger? Which is apropos, right? Like it's um, uh, so what today... is this apropos? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, this 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 week we're actually talking about games we've fallen off of or abandoned. Um, and I can just give you, yeah, like just the example I just mentioned, like. Um, no Man's Sky, where it's this huge universe that I could just explore forever. Um, oftentimes, if I don't have a story that makes sense, that is keeping me focused, I get, I, I am just, I lose my sense of meaning in a game. And so um, we're going to, so, so we're going to look at uh, Christian first. Um, Christian, what are some games that have done this to you? We we can be looser than that too, but but I don't mind being put on the spot. Um, <laughs> so my my big thing is I have never managed to stay on a game where crafting and resource gathering are the central mechanic, and I have tried. <laughs> I have tried with Stardew Valley. I have tried with Harvest Moon in earlier days. I have tried this year with Animal Crossing. I did you know. Animal Crossing New Horizons, and I think I am the one person who did not fall in love with it. It just it it was it was absolutely charming, and then I found myself charmed and bored at the same time. <laughs> um, and and I was and and maybe it was because I like I'm not in a situation where like I usually feel really comfortable, uh, like being around the rest of my family, uh, and like playing mm -hmm. a game. Like usually that's just like we have a really young child, and sort of like very small amounts of time we get to do something like watch television or walk together or things like that like have to be more dedicated and so maybe if i was able to do this like i can play this at the same time as doing something else like watching uh too much television maybe but mm -hmm. i fall off of crafting games like it doesn't mm -hmm. and i keep trying spirit fair which i know nate you loved yeah, uh, yeah and i and yeah. i see why people love it it it's not just charming but it, it has this moving dynamic and i wanted to love it so badly but again i was just like Okay, so I gather these things, and then I plant these things, <laughs> and then I get these things from these things that I planted, and then I do it again? <laughs> yeah, and I would say in general, like, uh, that was not 
my favorite part of the game. And I think the thing for me was ultimately I was going to make a choice, right? Between like, do I, am I interested enough in Virgil meets Animal Crossing to get over the fact that the actual gameplay of this game is way too reminiscent of my actual day-to-day anxieties about my own resources and the lack thereof. Like, Mm. and I think that that, that's, that's my problem. Although it's funny, I had not thought of, I don't know, maybe, maybe just cause I, I, I got into it well before I was thinking about what games were like or, or could do. I never thought of Animal Crossing as a resource management game. And, and you're, it totally is like, it's just, there's oh. only a couple of resources really, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, cause you're just trying to kind of turn it into money and furniture, at least when I played, but, but uh, yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's, it's, uh, there's a difference between like, I just, there's a, there's a point where it's like a reality simulator. Like it's just too close mm-hmm. to like things, things that I'm, that I'm playing games to escape from. I don't know if that's kind of what, is part of what's off-putting to you, Christian, but that, that's that's part of the problem for me. I think it probably is, and I also think it's weird because it's like, if I'm playing a 4X game, if I'm playing like a big strategy sim game, like then I'm okay with resource gathering, or if I'm playing like a real-time strategy <laughs> game in RTS, then I'm okay with it, but I think that's because like the resources are getting plowed into like this thing that's going to blow up other things. So I'm just like <laughs> driving towards the explosion. It's like, oh, thank God. I know that all of this gathering <laughs> is going to eventually turn into like wiping out this terrain, which does not speak well of me. Um, so you like the military industrial complex. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was really comfortable when the only video games available were coming out of the Nixon administration. Uh, <laughs> uh, um yeah no it's it's strange and and i and i it's something i i want i wanted so badly to like animal crossing and i think Uh... instead it became like the moment where i reconciled myself with like okay i don't (laughs) have to like every kind of game it is really fascinating how like these games uh crafting games quickly become about making money right it quickly becomes about uh, producing something, making something of yourself. And I'm reminded quite a bit of Stardew Valley, which I've played several times and I enjoy it, but I don't like, I remember one point I'm like, okay, I'm going to get serious about Stardew Valley and like looking onto the wikis about like all these people who have these like giant, like super farms and like the amount of turn, like you have to keep like such, uh, such a focus on like on like how many turns you've taken and what exactly you've, what exactly you've planted and at what time and how much money you're getting for it. And like all of this stuff, like, and it is, it's, it creates a lot of anxiety. I just want to go around like chopping down trees and like, and like picking up stuff and just, that's it. That's all I want to do. I don't even want to romance people. Like, I just want to make, I just want to chop things. That is all. Well, (laughs) animal cry. Animal Crossing is actually good for that. It's mostly just chopping things. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Maybe you didn't get into the like, there's, um, I mean, again, it's not my favorite game, but it's like, it's a good sort of like mindless sort of thing. And also, yeah, I enjoy that part of it. And yeah. Like that part of it is really great. It's just like, I don't like to be responsible for making anything out of it. <laughs> Well, I heard somewhere like people are like, this game is just teaching you, I mean, yeah, how to be a good capitalist, right? But 
specifically a kind of like i don't know like late stage capital capitalist mm -hmm. and because mm -hmm. when you get there you all suddenly you get a mortgage and you're just like what is happening <laughs> i don't understand you know yeah um this was a yeah. vacation island at first and then suddenly you're like you're straddled with a mortgage but yeah that's it, my favorite it, part of the game yeah, yeah. The mortgage. I, love that. I love that tom nick is just a complete yes. ass who like is like <laughs> come relax hang out <laughs> build a bigger house right What's i remember 10 percent interest rate <laughs> it reminds me quite a bit of shenmue 2 like um where um you're supposed to like avenge your father's death right and i remember playing this game it's like the early 2000s and um somehow like i decided i had i, I got an apartment so like shenmue 2 is supposed to, was like when it came out of like you can do everything you can like you can like uh, use all of the vending machines. You can uh, play all of the games. You can talk to anyone. Like everything is interactive. And uh, somehow I got myself with an apartment. And then I was like, well, I have to pay for the apartment. And so I, I got a job at the docks, like moving <laughs> stuff. And I got myself into this weird cycle where I was just working to pay the apartment and I never finished the game. Like I was just working every day and I'm like, how did this happen to me? How did I end up in this? And so David, voice, this is, this is not my beautiful house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. You ended up in the same situation. You're asking the same kinds of questions that you just ask in everyday life, but about your <laughs> game life. <laughs> Why am I doing this? But what see, is that's the problem. That's the problem. Except that I can't go out and buy it. Like, I don't know. This will be a, a thing, I guess. I could get this as a tattoo or something. But like to me, capitalism wouldn't be that bad if I could solve most of my problems by fishing. Like mm. if I could just go out and catch a bunch of fish <clears> and then just turn around and sell those fish back. And that was all I needed to do. And I could spend the rest of my time just like chatting with my anthropomorphic buddies. Like that wouldn't <laughs> really be <laughs> too bad, but there's that turning point. There's a point where it, it, it hits too close to home. And it's like, I just, and it, it's not always necessarily an animal crossing, but wherever you find it, there's a point where it's just, it's too much. And it's like, no, this is just, like I gotta, I gotta pay my actual rent here <laughs> at some point, and I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. The flip side of this, and and maybe this is for me one of the kind of hinges on this. The reason I'm partially sort of attracted to these kinds of games, whether it's Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley, is because I enjoy reading about and hearing about other people's experiences in the game a great deal. And I think one of the things I'm also coming to terms with, like, oh yeah, I'm kind of like, I guess I'm a game critic and a games journalist. I don't have to play this game myself. I can just do research on other people playing it sometimes. <laughs> you know, I can I can interview folks about these things or the like, and I can be okay with this not being really for me mm -hmm. and talk to other people for whom it is a thing. Like I'm never mm -hmm. going to be the guy that builds, you know, an amusement park or a theme park and a square Ferris wheel mm -hmm. in, in <laughs> Minecraft, but I'm going to love reading about and hearing about that experience. And I'm going to like, want to like sift through what's driving people, you know, but maybe that's not for me, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know. I will say like games like, you know, I mean, I go back to like the <clears throat> old Mega games, which are literally just, I mean, what Ian Bogos always said that, you're just playing a spreadsheet right like you're <laughs> you know it's like playing microsoft word you're just sort of yeah. clicking cells right and so 
you know, it's just teaching you or, or you're just, you're the reason it's pleasurable is because you do this as work. And so it's familiar, you know, the sort of mm. manipulation of, of boxes and, and things like that. But, but it is, there is the social aspect, I think that, you know, I would not have started playing Animal Crossing if my sister and nephew weren't playing it, uh-huh. right? And so, uh-huh. um, and then we realize you get to a point where you do need a larger circle of people to get certain things or get certain things faster. Um, mm. And so uh, mm. it's been, it's interesting. The money, making money part actually plateaus at a certain point where you're just, you have too much money. So it's really, it's the collecting part where you're like catching all the different fish and bugs and, you know, all that sort of stuff, which is, mm. I think, more interesting to me where I'm just like, mm. ooh, I caught a new fish today and that's cool. Yeah. Um, weird, <laughs> but cool. <you> know? <laughs> and let me go put which, it in. Which is really, really interesting and this is going to be like the single nerdiest part of the podcast so just <laughs> be, be warned christian told you earlier when there was going to be a spoiler Nerd this is going to be yeah. the worst the worst part of the podcast is coming right here but that's exactly <laughs> what happened in the 19th century was you had to have the industrial revolution before you had natural history like, right? right? Yeah. That was what happened. Capitalism happened. And then everybody needed to catch every fish and bug and bird right. and, right. And, yeah. and, and mount them all and paint them all and put them in the museum. And that's a little bit anachronistic. Like there were people working sort of ahead of their time in some ways, but by and large, it's just, it's really funny. Cause I imagine it has to be by accident, right? In Animal yeah. Crossing, it's it has, I, mean, I don't know, I but, but it, it's funny yeah. that it follows the same progression anyway of like accumulate <laughs> enough capital and then in your leisure time, you can go catch bugs. Right. <laughs> like, it's just really strange. So I, uh, it adds, <clears throat> you add, I don't know if you know this, but the other, the, you collect bugs, fish and fossils. Um, there is a really interesting kind of like pro science aspect of the game, which I think is mm. kind of cool, yeah. right? Like you go into the museum and it's all about evolution, right? Cause mm, you're collecting mm. fossils. And so, yeah. uh, but the last thing you collect is art. <clears throat> um, and there's a character named mm. Red yeah. who is a shady dealer and he comes to your island like once every like mm. three weeks or whatever. And then you, he says, I have three pieces or four pieces of art to sell you and um, they can be fake or they can be real. And you have to look mm. at them to see whether or not they're fake or real. And it's like, these are mm. actual things. Like this is Botticelli's Venus, right? Or whatever. Mm. Um, you have, I use a guide because I can't, you know, just like, oh, there's one bit of light that's missing from this painting. So there it's fake, right? <laughs> it looks. Um, but that part's really weird where it's like, you're trying to get real art in order to put into your museum, which I think is funny. Natural progression, right? Collecting oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So Ed, tell us about Elder Scroll Online. It sounds <laughs> like you've had a, a tempestuous relationship with the game. Tempestuous. Um, oh, we're jumping. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, I, okay, last year, a friend of mine was like, hey, let's play a game together. We haven't played a game together in a long time. We're both academics. He's in New Orleans. I'm in Seattle or Ohio, depending on where I am. And and so he's like, I play Elder Scrolls Online. I was like, I've never played it. I mean, I played some of the, obviously, the OG games. Um, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay. Um, and obviously, I subscribed and you have to do all the stuff. It's on PlayStation 4. And uh, we've played twice, like two or three times together since. So, 
Um, but it's one of those games, again, sort of like open world quest lines, you know, all that sort of stuff where you're just trying to like wander around and you're killing things or, you know, solving mysteries or trying to loot people or, you know, whatever, all that sort of stuff kind of to like Morrowind and, you know, Skyrim and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but after about the like, I don't know, <clears throat> 50th iteration of the same kinds of plots and, mm-hmm, and things, mm-hmm. you're just like, well, uh, I did this to play with my friend. And since um, I'm not doing that, at some point, you're just like, I don't really want to just keep going. I was trying to fill in the mm. map. So I was trying to use that as an excuse where like, have I gone to every single country or every single part <laughs> of the world? Um, and I might go back to it's actually quite fun soloable, which I really like, right? Where like w- World of Warcraft, you couldn't really solo that much. I mean, you could do partially, but at some point, you really had to um, at least group or you know do stuff. And so, Elder Scrolls, you know, I think a lot of the content you can do by yourself. Um, and uh, but yeah, it just sort of dropped off. And again, like you know, games like that are all about you know, running errands. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's literally, I mean, that's literally like the D and Dungeons and Dragons model where it's just like, Hey, you adventurer, I need this to be delivered to this person. And then, you know, you sort of go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to write about it though one day. Cause I think it's really interesting because uh, if you bought so it's like had multiple expansions. Right. And so I, when I got it, it was in its mo- last, there's a current one, but the previous one, and you get dropped there. And so you're kind of at the end of the narrative. Um, so I played that zone and then started playing the other zones, which are are pre-prior to that zone. And so I was going backwards in time narratively mm-hmm. uh, because the world doesn't adjust. And so <laughs> like you would run into someone that you met you know, in the first zone, and they're like, it's good to meet you for this first time. <laughs> I have seen, I have talked to you before, or, you know, stuff like that. So it's I very Doctor that. Who. Yes, yeah. I think that sort of weird achronicity is sort of really interesting, but um, but yeah, I sort of stopped playing. I think the, the, the one, the game that's, I mean, World of Warcraft I played for years, and that's definitely fun because it's social, and so when my sort of, like, game network of people stopped playing there wasn't really any reason to sort of continue because i i'm not a you know raider i don't really care about pvp you know i don't even really care about the story like people always like oh there's so much lore and i was like i don't know any of it because the game game doesn't make it consequential right like you know you're just going and you're you know pew 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 and then you're done (laughs) you know so um so i stopped playing that and then The Witcher, everyone is like, you have to play The Witcher, you have to play The Witcher. And the, You're talking I about had, the first one, right? The first one, right? And so, I, well, I was going to play all of them because I was like, okay, I'm a game scholar. I should play all of these games. And the first one I got <laughs> to, I don't even remember which boss it is. I almost stopped after the first sex scene because I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> this is not interesting to me at You weren't all. into the, the collectible card game of women that you... Right. I was like, this is hideous. I don't even get to choose whether or not I want to see them. Just like, um, I'm like, Geralt is super gay. I don't understand what's happening here. Right? Like, super gay. This man walks around in a lot of leather and <laughs> all this stuff going on. Anyway, 
Uh, but I hit up like one of the first bosses and I was told after the fact that the first one is kind of glitchy or hard and I couldn't beat it. I either, hmm. I didn't level up enough or I did it. Something went wrong where I was like, everything I did, I could not beat this stupid one thing. And I just stopped. I was like, okay, well, clearly the game doesn't want me to play. So uh, <laughs> and, uh, maybe one day I'll go back to it. Don't know. I have this experience. I remember uh, playing Witcher Three for the first time, and I've I haven't played the earlier two, which I know are uh, less refined, let's say, in terms of their <laughs> mechanics. Uh, where my friend Bill and I were playing, and Bill's like a min maxer, like he literally makes spreadsheets when he's playing those kinds of games nice. to like yeah. figure out exactly what to do. Uh, he does this with things in real life as well, uh, and. You know, we would play and talk about it while we were playing, and his partner Amy, uh, Amy Bong, is an academic uh, as well, um, uh, would just heckle us mercilessly because she just hated Geralt so much. And it is true; <laughs> it's terrible. just like it's like yeah, it's like you know, this is a role-playing game where you're just inhabiting this like super gruff dude. And sometimes <laughs> I enjoy it, but sometimes I'm just like, man, like this is like a 60-hour asshole simulator. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always like, say it's like this is this is my students love it, and I was like, this is why gamer game gamergate happens is because yeah, of like this. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is so fascinating to me, and I haven't played this. I actually played the first and the second, and then didn't play the third. Wow, and I still haven't. Like, I don't know. People keep saying play it. There are so many people who really love these games. Um, and also love, like I watched the show. Mm-hmm. I watched the show. Love the games, the books, and you know, and the books. The and yeah. um, I have to confess, like I don't know. Maybe I mean it's fine for fantasy. It's I guess I, It's pure wish. Yeah, I just like, don't really get it. I I guess I don't. It's one of the things I don't get. I will say the one thing that I like about it, but that I would love to see it, like less butch less like dude bro version of it is the combination of like noir Mm. like pi private investigator with fantasy fiction that's like something that i get like because there's a way in which it's like raymond chandler meets tokeen yeah right like and if you yeah if you threw a little like Buffy the Vampire Slayer in it with the Monster of the Week style thing, <laughs> like I guess that's what I want. I want a Buffy the Vampire Slayer game with the same amount of you know funds, uh, where I get to design my own Slayer, right? Where I don't have to be Buffy Summers either. I can just that's funny. Well, the new series is coming out, so yeah, is it actually coming out? Uh, maybe a sign. I mean, I think COVID threw a, a wrench in a lot of things. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it's supposed to be. That will be exciting. Okay, we need to talk about roguelikes. We need to talk about Dark Souls. We need to talk about Hollow Knight. That's <laughs> a lot. I want to talk I want, about hard games. <laughs> I really want. I really want Nate to talk about Hollow Knight because I. Okay, I have to admit. So, like, there is. I think there are different versions of this question that are being played out. So, like, with Ed. Um, so I totally get the the Witcher thing, uh, but it's interesting that I wonder if there's ever a moment in a multiplayer game, a massive multiplayer game where you don't just drop off. I mean, I think- Yeah, it's inevitable, right? Yeah, like part of that is you just kind of play it and maybe it's because they stop making new content or 
Are they still making? No, they, still making new- they still are making Ever, uh, yeah. EverQuest. Oops, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> World of Warcraft, which is a totally different game. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're still releasing okay. expansions. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The interesting thing about Hollow Knight is uh, I decided I wasn't going to go for the 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 big ending. I was just going to go for the easy ending. So I went through that whole game and I'm like, and cause like initially I didn't want to do the white palace and I don't know, Nathan, have you, have you gone to the white palace? I, I know about it. I know that it exists. Suddenly, <laughs> if someone comes into this conversation, we're talking about drugs because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so white Roger was just doing the White Palace off of a mirror in the bathroom. <laughs> he was going for the easy ending. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so basically, the White Palace. So like Hollow Knight is like Metroidvania meets like Dark Souls, right? Like, but like the White Palace is like the developers were suddenly like. Oh, let's put Super Meat Boy in the middle of this right. in the middle of this Dark Souls game. And it is annoying, but I beat it and I felt good about <laughs> nice. it. Nice. Nice. I'm terrible. Nice. Well, I hope you felt really good because because yeah, I feel, it was yeah, I feel awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's my huge white whale. Like it just everything about that game uh, I should love the setting the characters the way it's i i love you know um like one of probably one of my favorite games of all time in the whole entire world is super metroid like i just i um and i'm not bad at super metroid either like i i like it and i enjoy it but something i've decided is that just in a in a general sort of painting in the broadest possible brush I am just not very good at video games. Like, <laughs> in just Same most here. cases. Yeah. That's what <laughs> like I Because I, co- you know, I collect uh, cartridges and stuff because they're fun to have. Um, but like, I have never made it past the chemical zone in Sonic 2. There's a part where you go underwater and the water starts coming up and up. Mm -hmm. And if you don't jump fast enough, Mm -hmm. you get stuck underwater and then there's a countdown and you die. I have died. I have done that (laughs) so many times. I have tried to play that level and I've just died every single time. And there just comes a point where I just say, you know what? I am not good enough at this. And so what happened with Hollow Knight though, to to get back to that, what happened with Hollow Knight was... um, I, I, I played it wrong in some way, I think. <laughs> um, I really, because what happened was I really wanted to play it. Um, true Metroidvania, drop right into the action and just figure it out. Figure everything out and never look anything up and not figure out. And, and, I, and I did, I sorted out like the maps and I figured out the different maps and how to keep track of where I was and where other things were in the map and, and how the sort of tunnel system worked. They're from fighting and, and all this kind of stuff. But what I never figured out was how to upgrade your weapon. 
Oh, you and know? yes. And I never one way or another. And I got all the way down. I, I, I beat the, the little, the Hornet lady. Um, I beat her. I got down like way far to where you encounter her the second time. Um, with, with, just the first weapon that you start with. So every single boss, I had to hit them like 50, 60, 75 times before they would die. And it was terrible. But I, I was so invested by this point in, in, in this idea that I surely, if I needed a more powerful weapon to get past something, there would be an intuitive place where I would run into it. No. And there never was. And there never no. was. And so no. because I couldn't play it the way that I wanted to play it, the way that I had misguidedly decided I was going to play it at the beginning, yeah. I gave up. Nathan, and that's my story. You are like you are like those people in who in the first Dark Souls just wandered into the uh, undead section of the game with the skeletons that would keep reassembling unless you had a divine weapon, which you don't get until halfway through the game. And so like when, when Dark Souls 1 first came out, there were all these people who didn't know that they went the wrong way and yeah. they just wandered into this one place and they just kept getting massacred over and over again. And they thought, oh my gosh, this is the hardest game ever. Why? And they didn't know that they, actually they just needed to go take the other road. Right. And, and, and that's how I kept feeling. That's how I kept feeling. And, and so what I needed to do, right, was give up my, my, because I bring the same feeling to like um, games where I don't, I don't know how people did it. Didn't, um, didn't that Netflix high score documentary have a little bit where they talked about the, the call center for Nintendo mm. where you could call and get help? On, mm -hmm. on games and people needed to know the game back and, because if, if you're playing Castlevania 2 just on your own, you will never ever <laughs> figure out. There's a part there's, and I, I won't, I don't know really what the statute of spoilers is on, on, on things, but like you will come to a part where there's just water, there's water forever and you die if you go that. in water and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> and, and there's just, there's this random item that you would pick up in some other place and you just have to stick it in the ground and know that that's, and, but it's not like a seed or something that would go in the ground either. And, and, and I think my problem was precisely, yeah, that I decided I was going to do it without help. Um, in, in both cases. And, and now I, my, my, my hubris has kept me from enjoying something that I would have liked a lot. But this is, I mean, what's important about this that you're talking about, Nate, is it's like this problem of expectations and knowledge and things like that. It's like, how much of this is we go into these games with expectations? Like, I go into Dark Souls for the first time expecting to be playing an action role-playing game, uh, you know, that's, I don't know, not Diablo, but it's basically Diablo, but like from a slightly different perspective. And I'm going to get some loot. I don't even know that there's a stamina bar. Uh, you know, I'm just like, dodge, dodge, dodge. Why am I not dodging anymore? Um, and you go in with these expectations, right? And like, there's a there's a degree of which like, that's my fault. And there's also a degree of which are all our games which don't telegraph the expectations very well. I, I think from software games, post demon souls do telegraph the expectations and there's a culture surrounding it uh and some of that culture is messed up um the whole get good stuff i have no patience for whatsoever but there's also a lot of supportive people that are willing to help lead you through things and yeah. roger is going to be my like you know <laughs> mentor for this um, and i don't i don't by the way like i'm that way about all of these games like i don't i 
I look at walkthroughs. I look at yeah. secrets with with these Dark Soul games because like my philosophy is I'm playing this game. I need every like possible help I can get to get through it, and I I feel fine about it. So yeah, yeah. Right. and maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's like I have this my my first greatest sort of like video game favorite moment was figuring out ocarina of time puzzles on my own without you know that there there is there's this there's this demon in me that loves not getting help um Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's part of the part of the problem with with these because i felt so so accomplished when i figured out the water temple on my own without having to look it up you know this is the thing though i i call it I call it, I don't know, I'm sure someone else called. I call it the Zizzy problem, right? Which is like to go back to adventure or, you know, the, the you know, the, the splunking game, right? Text-based game where, or no, it's Zork, sorry. Mm-hmm. Where is Zizzy from? I yeah, that's Zizzy, yeah, Zork. Yeah, yeah it's adventure, yeah. yeah. It's adventure, right. sorry. Where, you know, it's the, it's the Easter egg slash like um, games that have just arbitrary things in them that you would never know unless someone told you or you just magically happen to have like you know stumbled upon it and I think mm-hmm. that's the thing is that like you know games are both I mean you know they're designed experiences right and so on some level the game is supposed to teach you how to play it um, mm-hmm. and so either you have too much explanation which is a problem or you have no explanation so that thing Castlevania 2 thing where you're like I didn't know that this thing could be stuck in the ground is like you know that's you know but there is pleasure in the like I'm just going to try every single combination possible Mm. but at some point you know that's not fun for me also like it's just like I I guess I'm like I'm one of those people like you know if you've never played Mist or the seventh guest which is like you know I don't know that goes way way back back (laughs) you know where it's just puzzles that are impossible. Like there's just no way to solve them unless you are a grandmaster at chess or something, right? You know, and so, um, and uh, I find that really an interesting issue and that hardcoreness or get goodness is part of that. Mm-hmm. Weave through some of these games, I think. Yeah, there's, yeah. No, go on it. Oh, no, I was just like, that's my, I, I feel, yeah, I feel like you're exactly describing sort of my, my worst, like pseudo intellectual tendencies, right? It's this like, it's this feeling of like, I, cause I don't really care, like Dark Souls, I absolutely have no problem looking for like, okay, do I even have to fight this thing at all? Like, is there a way, cause if there's some clever way around it, I'm gonna do like, but 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 when the, when there's a puzzle, when there's a puzzle involved or when there's something that I feel like has some kind of intellectual edge to it, that I ought to be able to grasp on my own. If I if 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 I'm not finding it myself, I just uh, I don't know. It's 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 ugly. Like I don't like it, but but it is definitely this feeling of like um, I'm not going to get. It's a capitulation. I'm not going to get the thing that I wanted out of this because what I wanted was to feel like a like a grandmaster at chess for just a minute. Like that's why I was playing this, you know? And, and so if I'm going to look it up, like why, why do it? Why do it at all? You know? Yeah. I think there are ways to do that. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, you try and then you decide, am I going to, am I going to muscle through this puzzle, you know, puzzle, or am I going to look it up or, 
some combination. Um, I think of like, you know, going back to like World of Warcraft or whatever, like, you know, like in multiplayer games, like if you, I, I always hated raids because, not hated them, I thought they were really interesting, but raids are designed in these sort of very scripted ways. You do this at this point, then you have to do this, then you have to do this. And the boss is going to pulse this for 15 seconds and then rangers have to move here or, you know, like that kind of like ballet, which is like the skill is, can you do the ballet? The skill is not, can you play your character really well? Um, and I always, I miss the sort of organicness of some of EverQuest, for example, where you could just get through a battle by just sheer pluck, luck, and, you know, mm -hmm, doing mm -hmm. a good job. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, I you know, this is stuff I talked about. Like, I, you know, computers are really bad at serendipity. So, yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in games that sort of try to sort of evoke that, if, if at all possible, or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think one of the hardest things when we're thinking about like falling off of a game is trying to figure out what balance it's them or us. I mean, bringing it back mm -hmm. to relationships for a moment, mm -hmm. you know, there's a kind of like a breakup element when you're mm -hmm. playing yeah. when you fall off of a game and you do yeah. wonder like, is this my fault? Right. Like, and I, I think this every time I play dark souls and bloodborne, this is, you know, is, is you know, it's, it's me, it. right. It's yeah. not you. It's me. Um, yeah. And, and there are games I don't feel like that about because there are just poorly designed games where if you play it uh, for a while, you're just like, you know what? Nothing here is intuitive. You don't gesture towards any of your key mechanics. It's not tutorialized well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's also the game that like does know how to hold your hand, but you don't know how to hold its hand, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, I always think about it in terms of like, I like games now or the movement in games now, you know, thinking about like disability and equity mm -hmm. and things like that, where it's like, you know, maybe difficulty is not the gold standard, right? Or time spent, like the grind is also not the gold standard, which is mm -hmm. what we've been designing triple games around, right? Like, I was like, oh, this game is, you know, 40 hours, awesome. But it's also 40 hours of like collecting seashells, right? And you're just like, why? Like, or, or getting an apartment and having to like pay for it. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, like those th those are things that sort of like pull me away from a game. Cause yeah. I'm just like, I don't, I don't have time. Literally actually don't have yeah. time. And yeah. so, and then if it's so difficult that I do feel shamed, you know, by the game, I'm like, I'm not going to play it. This is abusive, right? Like this right, is, right. I'm not enough of a masochist to, to, to want to do it. So <laughs> I do not consent to this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> this is, then you have that horrible like moment that happens in a sitcom where the, you know, the game says to you, you know what? No. I do not accept your breakup. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you can't delete it from your system. It just keeps coming back, reinstalls itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, this went in a weird place. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get any weirder, Roger, okay. why don't you take us to the next part? Yeah, well, I was just going to say in the weirdest possible way that definitely this metaphor of like masochism is interesting, especially with Dark Souls, because I feel like with that game, I am masochistic, mm -hmm. but I do consent to it. Like it's mm -hmm. like a little you, bit is good. Yeah. 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 Like you can, you can have those experiences sometimes. And 
Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so so we're on to our, our non-game rep recommendations. Um, and I think we'll start with Ed. Oh, oh, um, okay, I had <laughs> lots of suggestions and people could just tweet at me if they want others. Um, and so this is, these are not, these are not light. So I'm gonna suggest um, uh, Larissa Lai, who is a Canadian uh, Chinese, I think Canadian Chinese um, author, sci-fi author and poet of new novel, The Tiger Flu. Um, since I'll just show it up, this looks like this. Um, oh. Came out in 2018. Uh, I've taught it a number of times and it's basically set in a sort of post-apocalyptic Pacific Northwest, uh, Vancouver specifically. And uh, it is about a global pandemic <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. an ecological disaster and, um, and technology run amok. And, um, and basically, um, about how to sort of figure out how to survive and get out of that. Um, so yeah, it's great. So cool. that's what Thankfully, I it has no utility in our present day not situation where we're not <laughs> surviving anything. <laughs> For those of you listening two years from now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Why don't you give us one more of your non-gaming oh. recommendations, Ed? Because okay. I, I feel like you're itching too and I, and I want to- Oh, no, no, no. I mean, no, uh, no, I want you to though. Okay. So then I'm going to then suggest uh, another book that's not relevant to it all, which is um, uh, Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, which is a novel. It's a duology, though the third one is supposedly being worked on by ghostwriters. Um, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Specifically, the graphic novel adaptation of Parable of the Sower um, uh, by Duffy and I don't remember their names. I'm sorry. Just they're going to kill me. Um, uh, Jennings and Duffy. Uh, it's also great. And it's a novel about uh, the 21st century. It's actually set in 2025. And it is about a world ravaged by ecological disaster and, uh, and about a young black girl, a woman who is trying to figure out how to survive. So both are about trying to sort of survive and find ways to sort of live in a world that is anathema to, you know, human life in a lot of different ways. And um, both offer the solution of like mutual aid, community building, um, you know, diversity, inclusion, all of those sorts of things. And so um, there is hope. Yeah. Those are my two. Yay. Roger, you're on the docket, I think. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, Ali Abbasi, who is this Iranian director. Um, his 2018 uh, film border which is uh which was written by uh john lindquist and you might know his earlier film that came out i think it was 2011 or 20 no it was 2009 it was 2009 let the right one in he uh oh i love that movie yeah, yeah so border border came out in 2018 um and is about this swedish customs agent who has this uncanny sense of smell and is able to like pick up when people are frightened or when just from her sense of smell any of these emotions um and i don't want to give anything away at all because like it's one of the most it's amazing it's bizarre and beautiful <laughs> and it's like a romance uh, and it's like uh, a story about 
like learning, finally learning who you are after years of, of not knowing. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, I would say a lot of like metaphorical analogs to uh, transgender experience in this film. And in fact, the uh, Lindquist has that, that some, that's a big portion of Let the Right One In. Um, uh, although it's, 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 it's a little, it's a little subtle if you haven't seen it, but uh, if you, if you haven't seen it in a while, um, one of the things when they made the American adaptation, let me in that was very unfortunate is that they, they, they definitely, so there's this line in let the right one in, let the right one in basically is about this boy who befriends a, 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 a little girl who's a vampire. Right. Um, and at one point, uh, the, this this little girl says, uh, "Would you love me as much if I were a boy?" And immediately the boy says, "No, I, yeah, I guess so." Like it's like there's like no uh, problem whatsoever. When that when that came out and let me in, um, which I think had Chloe Chloe Moritz. Who is that actress? Chloe. I don't remember because I actually only watched the 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 first I, version. Yeah. I didn't watch the remake. Anyway, when the when the remake was made, um, there was a lot more like, oh, I don't know, like this is a betrayal. How could you do this? And um, so it was just it's just very striking to see the two different uh, the two different films. And now that I've seen Border, I can definitely say that um, there's there's definitely an interest in these issues by the screenwriter at the very least. Um, so I would highly recommend it. Um, those of you who have Hulu, it's on hulu um you can watch it on that or you can rent it um it's a it's an it's a it's a beautiful amazing mind-blowing film so very cool no i need to check that out that sounds really interesting i hadn't actually heard of that director's work to be honest nate i think you are up yeah i am and and this week what i'd really like to recommend is um birds they can fly, they can <laughs> sing, um, they can poop anywhere they want. Uh, they can get to places that no other creature can. Um, and just birds, I think you should spend some time thinking about them and, and, and enjoying them. Just and that's me. our show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> birdcast. The neighbors with glasses birdcast. No, um, I, I, well, just because my, my real thing, I feel like kind of needs no introduction. Um, so uh, Tamsin Muir's Locked Tomb Trilogy. Um, the, the first book is Gideon the Ninth. The second is Harrow the Ninth. And the third one isn't out yet. Um, but it's just it's really cool, and I think a lot of a lot of folks are are kind of have heard of it already. Maybe at least when I've mentioned it to other people, a lot of people have been like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of them." Uh, and uh, the the tagline right across the front cover of Gideon the Ninth is um, "Lesbian necromancers explore a haunted ghost palace in space." Um, and yeah, if that is Sign not attractive up. to you, then yeah, I don't know what you, what more you want from a book. <laughs> like, it's just, but, and the, and the thing is, and the, the, the cover art even is just, is, is amazing. Um, you know, uh, Gideon wears these big aviator sunglasses, but has this like corpse paint, 
um, um, uh, on, on her face and the sort of bright shock of red hair. And she's just kind of like coming at you. Really, really, really cool book. But, but what, I, what I really like about it is that there is um, sort of buried beneath that obvious and also delightful sort of layer of camp. There, there are some really real characters in there that, that are dealing with some uh, real issues of, of identity and purpose and uh, desire and loss in in ways that um that are also taking place in the context of being lesbian necromancers exploring a haunted ghost palace in space and 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 i think it's those things together that really make uh make the story um work in 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 really cool really cool ways and sort of the interplay among the various characters as well there's also like i would say a lot of of the sci-fi that i find most compelling sort of does there's a nice undercurrent of mystery um and and there's there's the occasional dramatic irony where where you kind of know what's going on and but the characters don't but there's also a lot of just like I need to keep reading because I, no one, including me or the narrator or the main character has any idea why, what is supposed to be happening in this new space that they've encountered in this haunted ghost palace. <laughs> and, and I really, I really kind of live for those moments as a reader where you just, you, you need to kind of keep, keep turning the pages. Um, and I haven't had that because I don't make a lot of time to read uh, novels. Um, and when I do, they're often graphic novels. So I really, really appreciated that uh, that, that rec that you read because I, I can't wait to check it out. Um, but as as the first um, like novel novel that I've read in a while that wasn't a graphic novel, it I am it's reminded me how much I love the the medium, um, and and I'm excited for for the last book to eventually come out and, and see how that all goes. Books are for suckers. I don't know. <laughs> 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 wasn't this wasn't this your idea to put a non-game thing at the end of the video I, game I podcast? make so many mistakes <laughs> uh, aren't no. you about aren't you about to rep isn't this a book that you're about to talk about no, i think i'm actually I, so i do want to mention a book but i actually came up with something based on our previous discussion that i do want to actually talk a little bit about um instead but i do i first i want to plug uh the book one of the books I'm reading right now, because I actually do love reading and have to do it for my job, uh, even if I didn't love it, um, even if it's soul crushing sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but one of the books I'm reading right now is Alenda Chang's Playing Nature or Ecology in Video Games. Uh, I just finished the second chapter um, on scale and I have also read the first chapter on mesocosms, but uh, Alenda's book is this really interesting discussion about what video games can teach us about how we interact with our natural world. And it's just about how what we talk about as our natural world is really more complex than we usually think about it being. Um, it might include, you know, rivers that run through cities. It might include all kinds of things. And uh, she does really interesting work, you know, as a designer as well with uh, ARG games, altered reality and augmented reality games. And so I've been really enjoying that book. But the thing I wanted to plug out, oh, and I'll just repeat, we're going to be interviewing Alenda uh, in about a week from now, uh, which will go into our podcast feed as well. So I hope everybody can listen. Uh, but the thing I 
wanted to suggest for folks if they haven't seen it is the TV show Halt and Catch Fire. Mm. It is by no means a perfect television show. And I think when it first came out, it was sort of heralded as a successor to Mad Men um, in the <laughs> best and the worst ways. Uh, but it ended up sort of toning itself down in a lot of ways by the end. And I won't say how or why, but I will say that I found it refreshing that the narrative sort of was about toning down certain kinds of, well, toxic masculinity. But it's a series about the rise of personal computers and about competition in a personal computer space back when it really was dominated by IBM. And I spent a lot of time recently for various reasons reading about early computing history and about early PC history in particular. And there was a moment where IBM just dominated everything um, in the PC space. And it was weird because they didn't want to go into the PC space for a long time. They just wanted to stick to their big, gigantic mainframes. And when they realized they had to go into the PC space, they just crushed a bunch of people and absorb the market uh, but there were these like sort of spunky people that competed with them and that's what this is about those spunky people but it's really interesting in terms of its exploration of like the scrappiness at the heart of computer history in a way that doesn't romanticize like the hacker figure but at the same time does recognize that like you know sometimes shit was just cobbled together and I forget if it's the second or third season but there's a wonderful moment where the series pivots to early online gaming. And I'm talking early, like, online gaming, uh, you know, dial-in uh, into bulletin boards mm -hmm. and, like, play games that, were comp that, you know, were made by the same people that you dialed into, right? <laughs> and they do a rotating catalog. And there's a great episode about you know them blowing the transformer in their neighborhood because they're running this online service as early online service <laughs> out of a house that they're renting and the entire house is just wires and they're trying to like tie the wires up with zip cords and like things like that and it's just like a mess and i love that mess and i love that look and it's like fictionalized but it's it sticks close enough to the narrative that I think you can learn something from it and you can certainly be inspired to read more about the actual history by watching this show. Um, and I think it's on Netflix. Um, but yeah, it's it's got great actors. It's a lot of fun. And if you're looking for another television show, because it's not like we're living in a golden era of television uh, or anything, uh, then, you know, just throw that 50 hour show on your queue. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's mine. Um, and I don't know what made me think of it, but there was something in our discussion that made me think of it. Uh, maybe it was all of Ed's uh, MMOs or something. <laughs> all right. Well, we should, call, we should wrap it up. But uh, Ed, thank you in particular for joining us for the first time on Gamers with Glasses. Of course. Thank you yeah. for having me. And I hope uh, perhaps my voice will be out there again someday. So. I hope that you come on again uh, frequently. Um, we loved having you. And awesome. we will be back in a couple of weeks when we will be talking about games of the year. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, 
Yeah, I'm going to have you... to play a game that was released in 2020. No, you don't, because that's the secret of gamers with glasses. <laughs> you know, you're not as bad as Jason. Jason's like, my favorite game this year was released in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> On the Commodore 64. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I just so happened to keep under my bed. Uh... <laughs> All right.